You are listening to Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. Expand your mind and keep it love. I mean, there is no difference between the hero and the coward. The only difference is, is that the hero relaxes. He, he goes despite the fear. He goes out and he does it because that's his. That's what he's been out to do, and I think that's what what life's about, man. And, and 
and, and being jealous of it and trying to covet it. Resistance in life, 
that you're in pursuit of. If you feel like you have that voice in your head that says, nah, dude, don't get up. Don't go out and go run in the, in the cold rain. You know, uh, before the fight, you know, it's just like, oh, maybe just say you're sick. Maybe say you're injured, you know. You'll be, you know, get out of this. Get, you know, any, any, all these things in your head saying, what if you get hurt? There is the possibility. No fighter likes to think about it, but there is always the possibility of death going in there. There's always the possibility. You know, and these things start ringing in my head right before this thing happens, you know. But then something clicks, man. Something clicks. When I meet with all that resistance, that is a sign that you need to push through it. And that's where courage comes in. That's where that's where this this fearlessness needs to come in because you've met with so much fear, you met with so much resistance, that now you have to be courageous. And what cur- what courage means to me is that what is the difference what is the difference between a hero and a coward? Okay, breakfast for champions, Henny on the wake up, rolling up the loud, we wake, then we bake up, overage over the play, got a bag to shake up, pack a tray, eight pearl handle, got it taped up, I'm low key, but my face up on the camera, just last Thursday, the TNT jammed us, knew about the peas, had us on Savannah's, but they ain't want the weed, they was looking for the hammers, damn, I made 10k with the Glock 9, but made about 50 more, but I stopped sign, Nah, officer, it's not mine Shit, I'd rather drop dead before I drop dimes Brooklyn, I was resting by the bleachers Lot of haters swore I fell off, so I was eager Now nah, I don't pick up less, it's by the feature Brooklyn, dirty money, fresh up out the cleaners Yeah, the plot thickens, a block nigga The top hitter, with no badge, but I cop nigga Big difference, we drive by, then we drive by on your block nigga And then I steal out the door like shoplifters 24-7 is a pack on us I might roll up a spider if the wax on us Hold up, yet still I got a rep mind Draw on releases, see how I got a in line I'm talking big links, chilling on the Cuban Doper than the shit I used to cop off of stooping No game show, but the family started feuding Cause the shit was so dope, everybody started mewling OT, Rihanna, swagger, she light-skinned Mommy and designer, panda, that white linen Doper than the bowl, I hit with the rice in it Bold deck of phone cups, Henny with the ice in it I'm uh, it's Brooklyn, I'm trying to get my Fetty right Them cold winter nights posted by the deli, right? Mm. I might do Patron, it might be a Henny night I'm blowing sticky bug cuds, running reds, hey, light See the bricks in the vehicle, they seasonal Long sleeve tees, got the wrist playing peekable You see the view, top sweets, I play the ticket I'm zoning in, I'm kicking, Chuck Norris got it kicking, nigga Uh, hey, yo, it's Brooklyn, was banging, bro Fresh out the pot, it's in the coffee Wake em up, gem star plate I'm scraping up to make enough Blow em out the frame you get the picture, hang it up. <laughs> yeah, Yo. son, that's what I'm talking about, fight. Uh, Bang. Yeah, on the spit out. Yeah, I leave scientists mentally scarred Triple extra large, wild like rock stars who smash guitars Poison bars from the guards, bust holes in your mirage Catch a charge, shake them down like the riot squad Invade your zone, ruin like ancient Rome I span the universe and return the earth to claim my throne The maker, owner, plus soul controller Ayatollah rest in the sky, the clouds my sofa Stand like colossus, regardless to whom or what Numerous attempts in my life, so who to trust? Who but us? To supply her with the fire, the burning truth, 150 absolute proof on the mic like Moses spoke in Golden Squad, survivor of the oldest tribe whose soldiers die. I know the five families, we shed tears and mourn, but our hands are on the ammo cause the battle's still on. Sound the horn, we come rumbling through the functions.
precision, precise laser beam technique to touch something. When we die hard, they build a monument to honor us with. Humongous effect in the world, we could have conquered it. Above the clouds, above the clouds, where the sounds are original. Infinite skills create miracles. Warrior spiritual, above the clouds, raining down, holding it down. Above the clouds, above the clouds, where the sounds are original. Infinite skills create miracles. Warrior spiritual, above the clouds, raining down, holding it down. Cordova, one of the elders, said, taking an enemy on the battlefield is like a hawk taking a bird. 
even though it enters into the midst of a thousand of them, gives no attention to any bird other than the one that it has first marked. It's bad when one thing becomes two. One should not look for anything else in the way of the samurai. It's the same for anything else that is called away. If one understands things in this manner, he should be able to hear about all ways and be more and more in accord with his own. When one has made a decision to kill a person, even if it will be very difficult to succeed by advancing straight ahead, it will not do to think about going at it in a long roundabout way. The way of the samurai is one of immediacy, and it is best to dash in headlong. In the words of the ancients, one should make his decisions within the space of seven breaths. It is a matter of being determined and having the spirit to break right through to the other side. And there is something to be learned from a rainstorm. When meeting with a sudden shower, you try not to get wet and run quickly along the road. By doing such things as passing under the eaves of houses, you still get wet. When you're resolved from the beginning, you will not be perplexed, that you will still get the same soaking. This understanding extends to all. Our bodies are given life from the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing is the meaning of the phrase form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness is the meaning of the phrase emptiness is form. One should not think that these are two separate things. Even if a samurai's head were to be suddenly cut off, he should still be able to perform one more action with certainty. If one becomes like a revengeful ghost and shows great determination, though his head is cut off, he should not die. The way of the samurai is found in death. Meditation on inevitable death should be performed daily. Every day when one's body and mind are at peace, one should meditate upon being ripped apart by arrows, rifles, spears, and swords. Being carried away by surging waves, being thrown into the midst of a great fire, being struck by lightning, being shaken to death by a great earthquake, falling from thousand-foot cliffs, dying of disease, or committing seppuku at the death of one's master. And every day without fail, one should consider himself as dead. This is the substance of the way of the samurai. I want to introduce my friend Javi Trujillo out of California. He's a professional prize fighter and he has a prize fight coming up in a few weeks here in November. It's my honor to have him on the show. And we actually did this on Monday, two days ago, and on my bad, I, it didn't record, and I don't know what happened, but Skype, Skype, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not really friendly with Skype, but I'm friendly with Javi. So, um, Javi, how you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Just um, just enjoying the English weather, man. It's, it's super rainy outside. It's cold. Okay. Just waiting until tonight, getting a Muay Thai session in, and then um, probably a little jiu-jitsu, and then that'll be my day. So as as you start winding up to the fight, do you slow down on your training and kind of, you know, so you could reserve your energy? Or how does that work as far as a prize fighter? Well, everybody has a different take on it and a different philosophy. 
some guys they take deep like they take long rests in between their, their training but for me this is this is more than just like a, a career option or or anything it's a lifestyle so regardless if I'm, if I have a fight coming up I'm training five days a week every week and that's just how I, that's just how I live my life you know guys like uh, Jorge Masvidal and um, Nathan the Diaz brothers that's how they do it that's why they never, that's why they're always constantly good you know um, they just never stop and uh, this, this is just what I do man so when I'm preparing for a fight, the only thing that happens, the only thing that really changes is that I just increase my strength and conditioning and, and um, doing a little bit of mental training, and that's about it. Do you hit the weights right now, or do you back off the weights? Oh, um, I increase. That's when I, I start doing more strength and conditioning, but I don't do conventional weights. Um, I don't really touch barbells anymore. Okay. The only thing that I really mo mostly is with uh, kettle kettlebells. Bands. Okay. And uh, plyometric. That's explosive. The plyometrics is that explosive kind of Russian stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's just an explosive type of movements, um, just trying to generate speed and power over like a of a certain amount of distance. So I do a lot of things with like box jumps. Do a lot of things with footwork. You know, um, ladders, like uh, doing like like uh, agility drills and all that type of stuff. Okay. Just things to build up footwork and, and build up timing and speed. Because at the end of the day, that's what. what what you really need to be a martial artist, you know, you don't really need to be the strongest guy. You, need, you just need to be a little bit fast and you need to understand timing. Okay, it sounds good. So, so you're you're getting your mental game ready. You're getting your your training in. Your Muay Thai today, some jujitsu. So you're going to be ready for this uh for this prize fight. Yes, exactly. I'm fighting a guy named uh, Daniel Kerr. He's actually um. It, what I like about it in May is that there's kind of two thoughts of philosophy going into it. You have guys that are expertise, that were an expert in a certain field, and then they decide to uh, get into the MMA. Okay. And then there's guys like me, who they would cook, what they call like a jack of all trades. Like, ever since the beginning, I've, I've practiced everything since I was 16. So wrestling, jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai, boxing. So I have a little bit of everything to bring into there. So, um... Daniel Kerr, this guy I'm fighting, he's a uh, pretty well known on the Muay Thai scene. Okay. Well, uh, people like Yotsin Clyde, who's one of the highest level Muay Thai fighters. You also fought John Wayne Parr, who's also another famous Aussie. I've heard of John Wayne. Yeah, I've heard about him. He's a beast. Yeah, yeah. So he's fought him to a very close fight. So the guy has a lot of experience in the ring. Um, he is a little bit of an older gentleman as well. So, but he wants to make his move back in MMA, and uh, this will be a, a really good test, not only for my striking skills, but the ability to take a man down and keep him down. Isn't it a little harder for uh, how can I put this? For an old, I guess, isn't it easier for an older guy to stay in the kickboxing and harder for him to transition into the MMA? How does that work as far as being an older guy? I think it's still possible, man. It's just that um, what, I've, what I've understood, especially in MMA, that, that age is only a number. Like okay. Now you're starting to see that a lot of the guys are fighting in their mid-30s to late-30s now. You know, okay. Everybody's just kind of getting a little bit smarter on how they train. I don't know how he's training personally for it, but okay. I think, I think um, you know, he just got to work on his jiu-jitsu, man. <laughs> oh, well, you, you've been checking out his game? Obviously. Yeah. Well, every opponent, you know, like when we were talking about uh, the five rings and all that stuff and, and Musashi's life, he was very good about coming into a, every uh, opponent with a strategy and understanding his opponent, you know. So the same thing here. I always analyze every opponent that I fight, try and see their tendencies, try and see where they're great, um, try and see bad habits that they get when they're put, pushed up against the wall. 
and um, just just knowing that maybe I have the right strategy and tool set because that's what all MMA is at the end of the day is taking a man out, out of his comfort zone and putting him into my comfort zone and seeing how he does and vice versa you know so makes sense always, I keep it a more tight fight because he'd feel he'd have more experience that he can draw from than I can but the same thing for him if I were to wrestle him or or, or make it into a submission match can feel comfortable more in, in, in their uncomfortable zone, you know? Right, that makes a lot of sense, and that's uh, that's the disciplines, that's that five rings and the whole the whole thing that we were uh, discussing in, in our, like I said, in our initial interview. So, wow, man, it's kind of exciting. I'm gonna, can you just tell the listeners, like, how they can watch this, watch this fight? Yeah, so if you guys are interested, I fight for a promotion called uh, Pool Metal Dojo, right? Um, you can find all of their old fight links to on their YouTube channel. Also visiting their Facebook page. And then if you want to see the live stream link that's going to be on Rock Sports Asia's Facebook page, you can look on that November 30th. And then you guys can find that either on their Facebook page or as well as mine. Yeah, I would like to ask all my listeners to really support Javi. He has a really good message that he's bringing out. He has a really interesting life. Came up kind of hard. And that's kind of like the theme of, of, of this podcast and that, you know, it's rising up against the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And really, like I said, I really ask for you to support him, check him out on Instagram. I know he's active there. And I, I believe before he said that he puts on these jujitsu training tips and different things. So you, you actually, you could probably explain it more than I do. What is your uh, activity on that platform as far as sharing your, your knowledge? Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, um, when, when I decided to, to leave my, my job full-time to, to commit fully to becoming a professional fighter, um, to pay the bills, you know, because sometimes fights are few and far between, I started taking up teaching for the very first time. And I don't know, it, for some reason, any anything, and I think this is just the way I was brought up, but my grandfather had given me a lesson, which was um, no matter what it is that you do in your life, if uh, you're a street sweeper or a garbage man, you know, just be the best damn garbage man or street sweeper that you can be. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you that you choose to do, you it's a reflection of who you are as a person. So if you do a shit job, that means that you must be a shit person. So hundred uh, percent. With, kind of, with that kind of mindset, I started teaching and started developing my own teaching style and teaching methods, and um, it really clicked with a lot of people, particularly living in Thailand, where it's a very multicultural uh, hub, especially when it comes to martial arts. You have people from all over the world, Russia, China, Cambodia, wherever, and none of these people speak the same language. So the way I teach kind of transcends just, you know, whatever it is speaking through a certain type of language. I feel like the way that I teach in my method can kind of come across to anybody. Kind of intuitive, so, an, an intuitive yeah. type of teaching. Exactly, you know, so that, that's what was kind of nice about it, and uh, he really enjoyed it, so I started putting videos on my Facebook page uh, and some on my Instagram as well. You guys are free to check them out. A lot of no-gi uh, tactics on there. Oh, great, great. As well as some MMA. Great, yeah, check out it. He's got a really good, um, he's got a really good Instagram. I, I you know, I, I check him out on there and that's how initially we got in, in touch. You know, I was checking out some of his uh, Instagram content and I was like, you know, I kind of reached out and we, we became friends. Do you live in, in Thailand or do you live in England right now? Like, live, full-time. Time take it. I was living in Thailand for like the last three years. I'm just uh, currently in England because uh, well, one, I just I, I like to travel. You know, that's uh, kind of part of my philosophy in life is just you know to travel. You know, let the 
I believe it was Che Guevara who said, you know, you know, you got to go and travel and let the world change you so you can change the world, you know? True. Very, very true. Try and go out and experience as much as I can and see as much as I can. And um, had an opportunity to come here to England for the last two months while I get my visa sorted out for Thailand. Great. But maybe not in time for like the last three and a half, three years. Great, great. One of the points that really stuck with me, as a matter of fact, when we wrapped up the, the initial interview and I was driving to work and getting ready to do my thing, one of the things that I was reflecting on is when we got into the whole thing about young people and how they're feeling this sense of de dejection and depression and different th kind of things that are going on with young people as a result of, to a large degree, shit that's being imposed upon us, upon masculinity, upon just being a man. And, you know, we got into that and you, you brought up some really interesting points. One of the main points semi-related to it when we were getting into the mind game, you mentioned something that really struck me. You said, yeah, mind, you said, but also it comes from the heart. And that kind of, I, I could kind of connect that to some of the young people today where they may be overthinking stuff or over-processing or being driven by the brain as opposed to, as you said, listening to your heart. And that, that, that struck me. So if you could kind of expound on that, that talk that you did, that little thing on the heart. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like we were saying, um, I feel, I feel a lot of people's, uh, are, are in a weird state right now, particularly a lot of young men, because there's, I really do think that there is a conspiracy and a war against, uh, of masculinity correct they want i mean whatever whatever their agenda might be whether it just be that the government wants to replace the family unit so everybody becomes dependent on the government correct correct exactly you know so with with that understanding you know it's like we have a whole entire generation of men that really have no purpose or no no place in this world and i think that's why we're seeing a lot of school shootings i think that's why we're seeing a lot of um, violent outbursts from these men because they just have no this is the only way that they can express themselves to feel significant in a world that's constantly telling them that they're not significant you know? wow, wow man wow it's true it's true yeah you know that's, that, that's the only way that they feel that they can imprint themselves and I think that's what's truly scary is because even though maybe a lot of people aren't I mean I would assume everybody that listens to this podcast because of all the, con all the talks that we talk about I think as a society, particularly Western society, is going through a gigantic, gigantic feeling of nihilism, you know? They feel like there is no purpose, there is no meaning to their lives, and, and this is why I think we're seeing these, these, uh, these, these uh, like, basically violent, violent out, outrages or, or, or ways of, of expressing themselves that are very dangerous. Yeah. And for me, for me I, I think what I, what I said was like when, when we were talking about listening to the heart, is uh, my whole life, I, I've always followed my heart. And what I mean by that is that it's a, it's a feeling. Any time in my life where I was in a position where I felt a sinking feeling in the back of my chest and I felt like I wasn't aligned with myself was a moment that I knew I had to get out of the situation that I was in. And sometimes even these situations were good situations. I'm not saying that there were all these extremely bad ones I had. I had a good career, I had a good um, thing going, but something in my heart just told me that this isn't right. Right. And so, yeah, and so for me, I, I, like I, I would explain to anybody, is this, like anytime you feel misaligned in yourself, or you feel like this, uh, for me, I feel it when it's like a deep-seated pit of just like something that's just like... Like sink, something sinking. Something sinking. In yeah, yeah, no, yeah, t totally, totally. 
Yeah, and it just don't feel right. It feels like, you know, you, you, and, and every time I got that in my life, I knew I had to get away from whatever it is, the situation or, or the circumstances that I was in. And everything, including the fighting, including being a firefighter and all the things that I chose to do, was when I when I did those things, I felt such a, a burning fire in my in my heart and such a, a such a joy, like almost as if you were a kid. And I decided, you know what, this is what I'm going to follow because this brings me the most joy, the most happiness, and I can see my my uh, my environment. It becomes a reflection of that, you know. The, my, my, the way I deal with people, it becomes better. You know, my relationships with my family and friends and girlfriends or whatever, they all become a lot more healthy when I'm in pursuit of, you know... Uh, a goal or something. You, yeah, man. Have you ever read anything by Joseph Campbell? Joseph Campbell is my man. You want to hear something funny about Joseph Campbell? Man, I was reading Joseph Campbell probably when I was 17 years old. I was kind of ahead. I was reading The Dow at like 15. Joseph Campbell, there was a show, Bill Moyers... On, on PBS Public Television and did it like a five-part interview and he was talking about this book, The Masks, Masks of God, which is the archetypes and, you know, into that, which originates from Carl Jung. But yeah, man, Campbell, yo, Joseph Campbell, man, that, that dude was one of the instrumental things in changing my life, viewing life from the perspective of archetypes. The hero archetype, the, the, the warrior archetype like you are, you know, that's why we need archetypes like you to... to, to to feed us that positive, positive masculine energy. But I'm sorry, go. I interrupted you. Go ahead on Campbell because I'm listening. He had said in a quote, and I can't remember the book because I've read a few of his books as well. Um, he had said, "You just have to follow your bliss in this life." Correct. Well, that 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 really rings true to you, you know. And everything else outside of that will fall in line, you know. Don't worry. Don't worry so much about bills. Don't worry so much about what people think about you, you know. Don't. You, you know, when I when I chose to, to do this fighting thing, I was really at the beginning was really afraid of what people would think of me, win or lose. Right. You, know, you gotta understand at the end of the day, whatever it is that you choose, whatever that that bliss thing is, you're not, you not you can't be bothered with what other people are gonna think about you. You know, it, you're in people. Somebody is always gonna view you as the clown and the loser, and somebody is always gonna view you as the hero and 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 the. And the most amazing person that they have ever met, you know, on the same page, I'm doing the same thing. So right. It's just and caring, man. You know. When that's why you gotta. Live. That's like what you said. You gotta follow your own heart and don't. The way I say it is, you can't view the world through other people's eyes. You have to view the world through your own eyes. And and I'm just gonna say like this: fuck what everybody else thinks because I, like we have a saying when I was growing up: I'm getting mine. I'm getting mine. And if you you know go get yours. You know what I mean. And uh, I think today people are too preoccupied with what other people, I think that's a lot of the problem is that people are too preoccupied with what other people think, what other people feel about them, what's posted on social media, you know, matching their sneakers to what, you know, to their hat. You know, I, th to me, that, that that's totally irrelevant to my, my reaching my goals in life. So I, I'm sure as a fighter, you really did have to experience that in the sense of that people don't face the kind of challenges you're facing. You know, you're out there ready to smash with somebody else. And I don't know what that is. I have never been in that position. So I could imagine, you know, that that's a hell of a, 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 a challenge, especially from the beginning, because you're testing yourself and you're, you're testing your metal. Yeah, absolutely, man. And you're testing it in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a setting where it's, the, it's the, re the reason why I decided to pursue this with my life is because 
I felt like everything outside of us is, is, is so fake in this world. Everything is so propped up. And yeah, with the social media, everybody looks great. But at the end of the day, when you step in there, there's no lying. People are going to know if you were trading. People are going to know what your mind state was. People are going to know how you how you deal when, when you, when you were uh, uh, met with adversity. You know, there is no lying. You can see the true person in there. You know, I always had a saying and why I love martial arts is because I can learn more about a person sparring with them for 15 minutes than I can have in a two-hour conversation. You know, there is no lying in fighting. Because it's pure. That's why the it grounds us in reality. Because know? it's the pure realness of the person. There's no uh, rhetoric. There's no, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, as, as we say in Spanish, mano a mano. Yo, do Javi, do me a favor. Take me through that because, like, I, I'm pulling back from points that I remember. I didn't take notes, and I just it it kind of I remember it. I had a, I had asked you a question. I said, um, you know, when you get in the cage and they close the and obviously, you know, I'm not a fighter. You are. That's why you came with the response. When they, when you get in the cage and they close that door, I said to you, you know, what are you thinking? And you you gave me a million dollar response. So I'm going to ask you the question again. When they close the door, what is it that you're thinking when you're in there? I you don't think. Right, that, yeah, that was it. So, yeah, expound on that. I've done all the thinking up until that point, man. I mean, for me, the fight starts with the moment the promoter gives me a call and says, I have a fighter. I have a fight for you. Yo, I have an opponent. Yeah, here's the opponent. They send me the info. Then that's when it starts to become real. I look them up. I assess if I can, if I have the, the right skill set and the strategy to beat them. And if I do, I accept the fight. From that point, everything is physical. I'm training as hard as I can, getting my body conditioned, getting, trying to figure out the, uh, like for me right now, this will be my 13th year training MMA. Wow. So I, I have a big tool set, you know, I got every, like as when you're an MMA guy, you have a whole lot of tools that you're starting to build up in, in your repertoire. So just finding the right tools to solve this problem. I mean, and that's why I love it. It's the biggest, it is the most extreme problem solving with the highest risk that you could possibly do. Yeah, I heard, I heard Rogan say that with the highest consequences, yeah. Yeah, it is, you know. And so I pick out the right tools that I think are good for the job, and I start sharpening them up. I start, I start building them up. And as that time goes, I visualize everything, you know, from um, from getting my hand raised to, to 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 how the fight could go. I always think, of, like, what's, what's the best-case scenario, the worst-case scenario, and how can I come back from it, you know? And I always do that, every one of my fights. I visualize it, visualize every part of it. Usually you gotta start with the end state, you know? So I always think, visualize me getting my hand ready. I always visualize myself walking through the cage after. And just like I said, just going through, as the camp goes, I just keep going through all the different scenarios that I think could possibly come up, you know? And as the fight gets closer, it stops becoming physical because now you have to rest your body. Usually it's about the fight week. Fight week is when, when you kind of see where a lot of people are, are made of, you know? And I've observed a lot of fighters, you know? I've got to be in a lot of corners of people as well, and I've just kind of seen how everybody else deals with that fight week because the physical part is done. All the training's done, you know? Now it's time to just show up and do the thing. And so it stops becoming physical, like I said, and then the last week it becomes all mental. Wow. And, yeah, it becomes very all mental because you have to rest the body. There's nothing else you can do, you know? Some guys, they, they don't care. They'll try, you know, all the way up to it. I think that's silly, but for them mentally, it makes them feel good because there's a, a phrase I used to tell my my, uh, my fighters when I had a few amateur fighters fighting for me. It's like, well, if you feel nervous, just get up, shadow box, move around. Motion, release tension. 
you know? Right. You Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So for me, as the fight gets closer and that fight week is, is there, it's usually the night before is that um, I feel the most doubt. I feel the most, um, basically, that, that opposing force, whatever, you know, I mean, I think, like, in the Bible and, like, a lot of things, they call it the devil, a lot of, you know. The yin, and, the, yin and, the yin and yang. The yin and yang, really. Because you're feeling so up. You're going to have that, that the equivalent down. It's a yin and yang. Everything. Duality. Yeah, so um, another another great book of mine or, or a favorite book of mine is The War of Art. You ever heard that one? I've heard of it. To Stephen Preston? Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't read it, but I heard really good things about it. It's a really good book, man. He also read a, a, he also written another book that I really love called Gates of Fire, which is about the Battle of 300. Um, That's Spart uh, the Spartan thing, or...? Yeah, the Spartans, it like a uh, but like a real life account. Like a, he's really used a lot of historical references, and, but he, but it is a story. So to, yeah, why don't you take us through that? Some of the books, because uh, we were writing off a few books before. We were talking about the Book of Five Rings, Maramoto Machishitu, right? Uh, we were talking. We were talking about the Dow. We were covering uh, Steve uh, Joseph Campbell. Why don't you t uh, talk to the listeners about some of the books that kind of got you in the right mindset or have had impressions on your life as far as getting you to where you are today. Some of the books that you've read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, let me, I'll finish my thought on, on I'm sorry. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll go into all, all my favorite books. But, um, one thing that he had written in that book that the war of art is that the more you are writ are met with resistance in life with whatever it is that you're in pursuit of. If you feel like you have that voice in your head that says, nah, dude, don't get up. Don't go out and go run in the, in the cold rain. You know, um, before the fight, you know, it's just like, oh, maybe just say you're sick. Maybe say you're injured. You know, you'll, you know, get out of this. You know, any, any, all these things in your head saying, what if you get hurt? There is the possibility. No fighter likes to think about it, but there is always the possibility of death going in there. There's cool. always the possibility. You know, and these things start ringing in my head right before this thing happens. You know. But then something clicks, man. Something clicks when I meet with all that resistance. That is a sign that you need to push through it, and that's where courage comes in. That's where that's where this this fearlessness needs to come in because you're met with so much fear, you're met with so much resistance that now you have to be courageous. And what what courage means to me is that what is the difference? What is the difference between a hero and a coward? In my opinion, is is the ability to act because when I grew up, they said there's nothing wrong with being scared. It's how you handle that being scared. What do you do? So you can you can engage and do what you got to do and still be scared. So that that's my view. Exactly, man. I mean, there's no difference between the hero and the coward. The only difference is is that the hero acts. He he goes despite the fear. He goes out and he does it because that's his. That's what he's been out to do, and I think that's what what life's about man and Javi Javi one other thing and this is a to go back to another point I feel that that's where the heart comes in because your brain is telling you so many things but your heart's gonna say we're gonna engage now yeah yeah you have to man and man, as I start to say you know I say yes and then the confidence starts to build in my, myself so the first thing that goes in my head is like you know what I may not be able to sleep like tonight but I know he ain't either I know he's up right now thinking about all the stuff that I'm gonna do to him Wow. As I start, wow. I start to, he's like, you know what? No, I'm out. I'm ready for this guy. I work too hard. I sacrifice too much. I've done these things and I start building upon 
myself and it's like, well, look at my skill set. I'm, I'm the fastest I've ever been. I'm the smartest I've ever been. You know, I'm, I'm the strongest I've ever been. My technique, my skills are the greatest. So you start building up this confidence in yourself. And that, start, that starts to build even more. And then the day of the fight, right before you, you walk out, you'll meet that last part. And that last little push of you can't do this or what if you lose or whatever. And you say, nah, man, I'm just going to be me. So right when that door closes, all that goes away for me. And I think for all the guys at the highest level, they say the same thing. It all goes away. Because all the, I've done all my thinking up until that point. There's no more time to think. It's just the act, you know? Yeah, man, I mean, it resonates. You know, just for the listeners to know, Javi has a really, uh, a really, really strong MMA record. And he basic, I, I call it smashonomics. He just smashes, he smashes people. But he generally gets it done in the first round. There was a, when we started going back and forth to line up to schedule this interview, I, I went online, I checked out all his fights, I put some comments in there. And there was one specific fight that he won. I, 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 it could have been four seconds, it could have been five seconds, it's debatable. But the guy, the guy was popping mad shit. And trying to get into his head and talking to his trainers. Because Javi relayed this to me on the first interview. And the guy was just yelling and doing all this kind of shit. And Javi just stayed, you know, stayed, you know, in the pocket. He was just observing what he needed to do. He was doing his 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 uh, Bushido, you know, watching this dude. So the bell rings and the guy, well, why don't you, well, I, maybe you could explain a little bit better. But it's on YouTube. I, uh, you, you guys should check it out. Why don't you take us through the four seconds, man? What was it, what happened? Yeah, well, like like I said, there was a lot of um, a lot of shit talking before this fight, man. This guy just and and this organization I fight for. It's like, I mean, everybody's watched Kickboxer and Bloodsport and all that. It is literally a real life version of Bloodsport. You know, we sit and we're in the middle of downtown Bangkok in a in a back of a nightclub, and that's where we're getting warmed up. So you're you're looking across, and your opponent is warming up, and you know, on the other side of you. That's raw. That's raw. That's super raw, man. I mean, most other events that I've ever been to in the States and everywhere else, it's, you know, you're completely separated. Usually you're on the other side of the building or, or far away, but not. Nah, you're right there looking at your guy, and he's looking at you. And at the time, man, he's just guys just talking a lot of stuff. He has a lot of confidence in himself, and it's just, I can just tell by the way he moves that it's like, oh, well, you don't put in as much effort as I do. So I came in there knowing that with confidence. And, uh, yeah, like I said, he came in, man. He was doing, doing all this throat slashing stuff, talking, <laughs> doing all this, man. Uh. And you know, he's just saying, "Yeah, fuck me." You know, fuck Bobby. He sucked. Blah blah blah. This and that. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm just trying to relax because it's like, well, listen, I know I'm about to piece this dude up. I'm not going to waste my. <laughs> you knew it from the beginning, huh? Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I just saw, I, I, I had already seen him spar before, and I saw one of his previous fights, and I just knew that, it's like, you know what, there's nothing that this guy can do that that I haven't already seen, you know? So, with that in mind, I already had a lot of confidence. So, he came at you, and what I, what I gathered from that, when he came at you, he charged at you, but he, he had his hands low, man. I think he was going to reach up and just try and grab me, is what I assumed. I mean, he came up with his hands high, and then he just sprinted at me, and then last minute he tried reaching down, and that's when I said, well, screw it, man. Here you go. Yeah, yeah, and you just, you just, yeah, you just clocked him up. You pe- Like you said, you pieced him up. Well, it was, it was one shot, right? He went down, and then you did a couple of hammer fists. Yeah, just to shut him up, man. <laughs> yeah, yo, I recommend you guys go on YouTube. And what's, what's the name of that channel, the YouTube channel again, so they can check that out? Uh, Full Metal Dojo. 
Yeah, you got to check that out. He, uh, Javi, is got heavy hands, man. He's got a great ground game, and uh, he goes with the body shot. He's he, he's a warrior, man. I'm telling you. And like like I would like to say to, to to my listeners also, or to whoever's listening to this episode, you know, we need we need men like Javi, alpha, true alpha men that actually engage, that actually get it done, that puts the work in, the training, the sacrifice that he does, you know, the lumps that he takes. You know, when he, people see him fighting in the ring, but you don't see when he's, you know, kind of healing up, you know, when he's training, when he's when he's doing his uh, weight cuts and everything like that. But, you know, we see the final product of it, but we don't see what leads up to that. But really what we need to do is take an example from, from a man like this and, and see how his life is, how he practices to, to, to live his life, the discipline that he has. He was explaining to me how he goes through his whole training process and how it builds up to the day of the fight and how, you know, there's times that he wants to go hang out with his friends or do whatever. But no, man, he sticks to what he needs to do. He knows what his purpose in life is and his calling right now is to be a prize fighter and that's what he's doing. So, like I said, I recommend you guys kind of kind of check out Javi, man, because, you know, we see all of these uh, Anderson Silver and all these guys like that. This this is effectively, you know, a, a, another warrior that's here accessible to us that we can learn from, that you can reach out to, and that is setting an example, especially, I'm going to say, for the young men today to look up to and say, hey, you know what, Javi's doing that. Yo, let me check out what he's about, where his mind is at, where his heart is at, and let me kind of put him as a role model for me so I could benefit myself because if I may say, the, all of the disciplines that you have translate into all things in life. I believe it says in the Book of Five Rings, he who knows... The way, the way broadly knows the way in all things or narrowly knows the way in all things. So in other words, if you're really good at one discipline, you can apply that to everything else in life, you know? Because yeah, you yeah, understand yeah. the process, you know? And that, that, that's one of my favorite quotes as well, you know? And for me particularly, like um, my first, what, who really inspired me and is still my biggest hero is Bruce Lee. You know, when I read the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, and, and as he's talked, it's a martial artist, it's a man who's a life of balance. You know, not only is it just like in one in one chapter he describes how you have the hard styles and the soft styles, and a martial artist needs both. For him, it was the hard styles were like things like Wing Chun and and conventional uh, Western boxing, as well as I believe he studied uh, Judo with the uh, uh, Judo Jima belt. And he said that he counterbalanced that with things just like um, I believe he was a Cha Cha champion. He also used things like um, uh, Tai Chi as well, which would be considered soft style. You mean Bruce Lee did? You're saying Bruce Lee did? Yeah, he was a cha-cha champion. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, and what I always loved about uh, Bruce Lee in particular for me was, like, I felt because, uh, you know, at, particularly at the time, even though I wasn't born in the 70s, I think he was a good example for a lot of uh, men of ethnicity born in this country. We loved him growing up. We loved him in Brooklyn, man. Bruce Lee was the man. I think it was because it was the first time ever... Any any ethnic person that saw a, a, a dude that wasn't white beating up a white dude on 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 camera, man, nobody ever saw that. The guy was the, the hero, you know. And you know he was the you know he was uh, Kato in the Green Hornet. Yeah, yeah, that's how we first saw him, and he was doing these kick these crazy ass kicks, man. Like, well, you know, I don't have, you know, I'm sure you watched him on Green Hornet, so. Yeah, but he's so fast, man, yeah. and that's what I could never get over. He was just so fluid with motion. And he could just look so quick, and and and, and that, that truly inspired me because like when I had heard him speak, 
and just how um, elegant of a, of a talker and a speaker he was, you know. And, and the power. Know. You could hear the power when he spoke, man. You could just hear it. Yeah, and I mean, and, and like we're going back to the books that we were talking about that influenced me, I believe everybody should read the Tao Te Ching, not just for the techniques, but for the, the philosophy that he had come with in that. And I mean, he, he took the time to really think about all this stuff when he had broken his back. And so he started reading things like Krishnamurti, he started reading the Tao, he started reading a lot of different books just to kind of get him into this mind state. So when he did heal up his body to learn how to express himself again, he could fully do it. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like, well, we're, we're, you know, he was a perfect example of a man who was re met with resistance in life. He, he couldn't use his own body. He was bedridden for six months. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, exercise his mind. And out of that, he, he, he came up with this philosophy that Dao Jeet Kune Do. Wow, that's, uh, yeah, I, I know, it's funny as you say that, because, you know, I'm going to be 60 in November, so what you said is very true from, from uh, growing up, like in the 70s, in the mid-70s going forward, that's when he, his heyday, we all looked up to Bruce Lee, man. I mean, as a matter of fact, it's funny, but in my, uh, in my area, like Nevin Street and Wyckoff, Gowanus Projects over there in Brooklyn, there was this guy, uh, I forget his name right now, but he was deep into Bruce Lee, and we started this little uh, karate club, but it was basically based on Bruce Lee and, and that a book. that I, I guess it's the same book, because we would go through, flip through the pages, and basically do everything that... Oh, we, we worship Bruce Lee, man. We freaking we freaking worshipped him, man. He was, was amazing, man. So it's easy to see why you would you would uh, he would inspire you in that way. Exactly, because, I mean, I, I, I don't know, for me, it's, like, it's not... I never like to try and think and make things about race, but it's just like I feel... Particularly for for men of ethnicity, one we we are me included or or in it's yeah, but yeah, Puerto Rican, yeah, both of us, yeah, yeah. We 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 grew up in a, as a generation of men without fathers, you know, and we grew up without really good male role models in, in the household. And I think that this was like guys like him were a positive mindset. It was like, listen, you can be the hero too. You can be the, the good guy. You don't have to play this. You know, as, as I feel like a lot of us will put on film as drug dealers and, and murderers and killers and, and the idiot and sidekick or whatever. It's like, no, man, we can be these well-spoken. We can be these, you know, very disciplined men. And that should be our goal. Right, you know? right. I think that's probably why he resonated with a lot of people. It's funny, though, too. You know, I, I, he really was the one that kicked off because before Bruce Lee, you had those... Uh, Monkey Dragon versus, you know, you know those Five Fingers of Death. I don't know if you heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and we used to see them on Forty Second, what we call Forty Forty Doop, Forty Second, Forty Second Street at the theaters. And you would, I think, for three dollars, you got to see three movies. But they, they were crazy ass movies. But then when Bruce Lee came out, Bruce Lee was real, and and Bruce Lee really had an effect, as you said, as we were saying, had an effect on a lot of urban young urban kids. Uh, Latinos and black black kids and everything like that. But it's funny, once he started really rising up, mysteriously he ends up getting shot or killed, you know, right at the peak of his career, man, you know? It's like they took away our hero. They took away our archetype, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, who knows? I mean, there's so many, like, conspiracies behind that. Some people say it was the triads because he, he taught uh, Westerners the Kung Fu and, and started teaching the secret styles to us. And, I mean, some people, they say it was because he, I mean, so how he became bedridden was that he was doing an um, exercise routine. One of them includes this thing called the good morning stretch, and he was doing it with weights, and, some, and it just messed up something in his back. 
So even regardless after his recovery, he said that he was still in a lot of pain. So he was taking certain medications that they believe that eventually gave him a blood clot tumor. So I think the combination of that and heart sparring probably would led to his death, possibly. Yeah, but answer me this. His son also died mysteriously. Yeah, huh? but that's what makes it creepy, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm a conspiracy theorist. Lo you know what I mean? They, they cleaned him up. Him and his son. Not good, man. Not yeah, good. I mean, it's like, who, who knows, you know? It's just who freaking knows. So, so Javi, why don't you take us through, because we've discussed this before, your childhood, how you grew up in San Diego, and, you know, your granddad, and you, you kind of got into that, and that was really inspirational. Why don't you take us back a little bit as far as growing up without a dad and all that all that stuff that you we spoke about before. That was really inspirational. Yeah, so um, my family and where we're from, we're from Southeast San Diego. So um, that's like we're about 20 minutes away. You can literally look at the border and see Mexico from across the way. Um, growing up there, especially as a Chicano, which is like a Mexican-American kid, you have a lot of the immigrants growing up as well in the same neighborhoods. So for us, like uh, my father, he was a day laborer, but he was also a, a gang member as well. And so just making side hustles and doing that and just living that type of lifestyle it got my got my mother pregnant when she was young and um you know tried to do the right thing at first but just you know couldn't let go of how he wanted to live and uh, he was okay. kind of just in and out of our lives most of the time okay and and because of that you know uh my mother my father is mexican and my mother's native american we're a coscon apache okay. so uh, yeah and for us like we're family is very tight so not only do we know our, our cousins, but our second cousins and, and our great uncles and aunts and everybody. So it's like a really, it is a big tribe that raises the family. So I, I felt like my grandfather ended up kind of being that um, father figure that I really needed. Uh, just because I, I also think that just looking back on it is that I feel that fathers kind of teach you the initial survival trait that you need to kind of stay alive. Right. As grandfather kind of teaches you the principles of overall life that you kind of need to continue to have, you know? And, um, yeah, growing up, you know, I played a little bit of sports. I did this, but I was, I, I saw myself get in a lot of trouble. There was even a, a period of time, um, in sixth grade where I was just ditching. Okay. They said, that, I believe they said I did school probably about, about a month and a half. I missed an entire semester. Damn. <laughs> Damn. And what were you doing all that time? Uh, just hanging out with friends. <laughs> I hear, I hear you, man. I hear you. Shit. Doing the stuff that you ain't supposed to be doing, and um, you know, and this is where I think my mom said that you know I, my my kids deserve better than this, and um, my grandfather decided to open up a business up in a small uh, town in northern Nevada called Gardnerville, Nevada. So it sits in the Carson Valley, which is about thirty minutes south of uh, 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 Reno. And going from this very ethnically diverse neighborhood where, you know, like my neighborhood was obviously Mexicans and natives. And then we had down the road Filipinos and, and Muslims and all sorts of people to go into uh, uh, basically it, it is a cow town and majority of, of just uh, just white people, you know, so became like the little token Mexican. of this. <laughs> <laughs> OK, which is good, which is a good yeah. thing. And that's when you when your granddad. You know, it's funny, man. Yeah, he really stepped up and he stepped in as as a as a really positive role model for my life. And I mean, his life as well. You know, he was the first man to tell to show me really. He didn't really say, but he showed. You know, to 
to follow your bliss. He he loved cars. He he was into um, building lowriders. He was into painting them and doing all that stuff. So he took a course. Wait a minute. You mean a Chicano into lowriders? What a surprise! <laughs> <laughs> and he, he used to tell me how they used to build them back in the day. They used to go to junkyards and steal the uh, the uh, the pump. That extends the on the tow trucks. You know what I'm saying? That sure. The, the wench or whatever that is. The yeah, but there's a there's a uh, there's a uh, pneumatic. Is it pneumatic? With yeah, the... it's a, yeah, it's a hydraulic pump. That's yeah, 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 yeah. They, they would swipe the hydraulic pumps, and that's what they would use in the early ones. Damn. Yeah, yeah, that's what he was telling me. But so he took that that skill, and he eventually worked for a Cadillac dealership. And because he was so good at his job that he ended up becoming a sales representative for the Standoffs Corporation, which is like the second biggest uh, car like uh, company in, in the world next to the DuPont when it comes to paint. How did that make you feel when you saw him rising up that way and, and conducting himself in that way? How did how did that make you feel looking at him as a young man? Well, in my family, they, they, he's Superman, you know? Yeah, he's... The Uberman. He's the Ubermensch. He really is. And that's what my... That's what my um, he had three daughters, so he didn't have any sons. So, like, I kind of played that role for him as the, the firstborn. Wow. You know? uh, and, and yeah, they always call him Superman. Because <laughs> you go all throughout life, man, he, any point, anybody in our family, if they were down on their luck or whatever, he'd bring them in and he'd beat them and he'd take care of them. He wouldn't, the only thing he'd ask is that you try and better yourself. You gotta be under my house, you gotta be under my rules, you gotta, gotta either find a job or you gotta go to school. You know, and right. that, that was all he asked. You know, he never asked for anything back. He never asked for money. He just wanted you to do better for yourself. You know, you know I, I kind of can relate because I, I grew up with, my dad died when I was six years old and my mom brought up me and my brother and it was on welfare. And, you know, it was, it was really, really rough, you know, and that we had no heat or hot, you know, sometimes hot water, no heat. He's too, dude. I'm sorry. I got him a cheese tip. Yeah, the five-pound thing of cheese, yeah. And here's the deal. You take that five-pound block of cheese, you bring it to the bodega, and the guy cuts it in half, keeps half, and slices the other half for you. That was the deal. And then the old ladies would get together, and you get they would say, you take the can of chicken, because there would be a chicken in a can, and then the arena, the powdered cornmeal, and they would make these ghetto, fabulous meals, bro, but... Yeah, yo, I'll tell you something, and and I don't know if you agree with this, but I would never trade my my ghetto poverty upbringing. I would never trade it for anything. I think, and I, we said it in the last interview, that's why a lot of these young men, especially ones that have a little bit more privilege, they ha have everything given to them, they never had any real struggle in their life, and everything was given to them. So by the time they reach 18, 19 years old, they're doing hand gliding, they're doing that extreme clip jumping, and you know all this crazy shit because... They, you know, they never had that real feeling in their life. Like they said, in, in Brad Pitt said in Fight Club, I don't want to die without a scar. And up to that point, they haven't had any real feeling, you know, of uh, anything, you know, anything that's going to put some adrenaline in their system, you know. And and uh, I think you had mentioned that that's one of your favorite lines is I don't want to die without a scar. Yeah, man. That's, that's why, I mean... Honestly, I think uh, Fight Club was one of the, the was was a movie that influenced me because I was it came out when I was around that age when I this is something I wanted to do. It's an amazing, amazing movie, man. My it's it's funny. My when my son was like eleven, I put the movie on. We watched it. My son is your age. I think my son is a year older than you. We watched the movie. He was 11 at the time. The movie ended. We looked at each other like, "What the fuck?" And my son went and put the tape back in, and we watched it a second time. It's his favorite movie. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think it because it it rings with everybody. Like we were saying, it's just like I don't know if it's be of modern capitalism and commoditization and 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 whatever it is that we want to say it is. It's just there is a, an agenda to try and stop masculinity, and I think it's because the government is afraid because whatever their plan is or whatever this one world government, the most dangerous thing to anybody is a man from the ages of sixteen to thirty. When your testosterone and your and your level of understanding is, is at its highest, and you want to either maximize and, and, and create and expand your whatever your territory, mm-hmm. your ideas, your job, your company, your career. Yep. Your brand. Your brand. Exactly, and also vice versa on on the negative aspect. That's when they want to they, they want to do the most destruction, do the most violence, do the most whatever. But they every man wants to make an impact. I don't care who they are. They want to do something. They want a stake a claim, and they want to feel significant in a world that's no longer making them feel significant. You know? Exactly, man. Exactly. I think I think part of that too is what you're saying as far as that age range being the most dangerous. So especially in that age range, being a fighter or being somebody that can set an example. Because I heard it once said the most dangerous thing really in the world is an idea, right? So you get a young man. Like you said, the way you got into it, you saw some UFC fight, and you wasn't into it. You didn't know what it was, but the minute you saw the fight, you were like, "Whoa, whoa, what's that?" And bang, that the idea was planted, and and you you acted on that idea, that thing that the, the thing that you saw. So, yeah, I, I'd like to say that the fact that when you when you see somebody that's executing and doing those kind of things, it's going to set an example for other people. Basically, you're sparking young minds. Right, you're sparking their mind to go in that direction to see what other alternatives they have because they might not know that that really exists. All they know is their social media and what their friends think. And yo, dudes today don't even play basketball like we used to. Everybody's like, they ain't about. I hate to say it, but they ain't about shit. You know, I used to play basketball from freaking nine thirty in the morning until nine thirty at night. You know, either that or go to Manhattan and whatever. But we were always doing shit. You don't see that anymore, man. You know, so. No, you don't. You know, I, I, I completely agree with you on that. And I just think it's also it's a part of the mass hypnosis there. The, I believe that the agenda is, is that they're trying to trick us in, into hating ourselves and loving who they are, loving what they have and all their wealth and, and being jealous of and, 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 and being jealous of it and trying to covet it and, and saying thank you to them for oppressing me. Yeah. Subliminally. And, and, Exactly. Yeah. Like I said, man, they, they're trying to convince us to hate ourselves and hate each other and to love, love them and, and love what they have. You know, and that overall agenda. Javi, one, one underlying note that I see, you know, from everything that we're saying right now is it seems like people are seeking everyone else's approval. You know what I mean? And yo, honestly, man, fuck everybody's approval. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to do what I have to do in life, man. And it's like, don't, don't put yourself in a position where you're not maximizing who you are, what you need to do, or taking care of your family, keeping your family together, whatever. Because this whole system is set up to break the family apart, to demoralize. And I'm, I'm going to take it a level deeper. Like, you get people that are addicted to pornography. They're addicted to uh, uh, opioids. And they're addicted to all of these different things. And all all that is doing is controlling the population, man. You know what I mean? 
it, it it's it's really hideous, man. It's really it fucking it really pisses, it pisses me off. And I'll have conversations with people, and I don't know if you realize this. You'll talk to somebody who's asleep. You know, you're talking to them, and they have no idea what you're talking about. You know, they can't really relate to what you're saying. It's like, dude, do you do you you know? Let's let's say Building Seven, okay? Building Seven that day at 9/11, that wasn't touched by anything. You're gonna tell me that that fires brought that building down? But they they're asleep to it. They're really asleep to it. You know, and, and like I said, well, that's one of the reasons and I keep repeating it, but it's the truth. We we need to have role models and people to look up to, look up to in a positive way, right? And yeah. yeah, and that's what we need. And they're trying to really suppress all of that. But I think part of it is this MMA and fighters and stuff like that. I think it's catching on with a lot of people. But you can't put the cat back in the bag. It's already out. Yeah, man. And I mean, like like I, like I said in the, the last interview, when when I got into fighting in 2006 and I just it was I mean granted I was training but you know I'm still a fan you know of course I'm still trying to, to do this thing but like especially at that time there really is and, and still to this day there really is no route for to be in a professional MMA fighter I mean if you wanted to become a professional basketball player football player it's like okay what do you gotta do go through high school right play through high school get into a college get into a college go to a go to a uh, you know the combine and go to a good drop and then you find an agent there's a route there's a path Sure. There are so many ways to become an MMA fighter. You can go through the Ultimate Fighter, going on a reality show, taking fights internationally like I'm doing, you know, fighting on the local circuit. There's so many weird routes. I mean, some guys come from other sports and they just leapfrog into it, you know? It's, Which is what you do. You was a wrestler, right? You wrestled. Yeah, well, yeah, but like I said, like, I, I was... I, I'm predominantly a wrestler, but that's that wasn't my specialty, you know? I, I, I did everything right from the start, you know? So... But but with that, like I was saying, it's just um, the route as far as getting into MMA, the route how to get into it. Yeah. So when I was when I turned eighteen, and um, that was right when the economy went to shit, you know. And I think um, I really I really kind of think about like the buildup and why MMA became so popular. It's like living in the Bush era and living in the the Clinton era, where basically it was private corporatism and basically saying aggression and all this like stuff like that is no longer necessary in the workforce that being a man and sexual harassment are all sorts of things that, you know that all these people are pretending to be polite and being politically correct because they don't want to hurt nobody's feelings right they don't want to do anything like that they just want you to be a good consumer buy your shit and, and pay your taxes and die and that's that's right, right. <laughs> exactly you know and and i think when mma started becoming popular it was because when that that dream that American dream of owning a house uh, that, you know, that your wages are going to go up, that all these things, they slowly, everybody started to realize this is not happening for us and it's not going to happen for any of us anytime soon. They were basically telling my whole generation, as much as we'd love to give you guys work and, and employment and all that stuff, there's no work for you. There's no nothing for you guys to do. That, that, so that sucks, man. That really, really sucks, man. Yeah, yeah man. I mean, I was... I was I was 19 years old when I went into the fire academy. Before that, you could, once you went to the academy, which was a very hard academy, I went in with two. I went in with 200 applicants. Out of the 200 applicants, only 40 were pulled. Out of the 40 that were pulled that tested, only 26 were accepted. And out of the 26, only 13 of us graduated. Wow. And out of that, we were told at our graduation day, "I wish we could hire you guys, but there's just nowhere." Shit, man. Damn. <laughs> Damn. That, that was like the mentality for everybody. I'm sure you probably remember too. It was just like, where, what, what is going on? There was men 
And that's what I think why fighting in particular and why jiu-jitsu got so popular was that here's a group of disbanded men who know who are out of work or who want to work and can't. There was a lot of older guys that I that when, when I was really getting into this training at my first gym, um, BJJ USA, it was it was a garage that we all basically were paying fees and we had our teacher who, who was a former UFC fighter, uh, Lowell Anderson, really great guy. That's some fight club shit right there. It, well, it is, man. It really was. In the garage. We were all trying to figure out what the fuck this MMA thing is and we had the, the one guy who, who's been in the top show kind of showing us what's up but we had a group of dudes some of us you know were, were, were like tradesmen and this and that and their their work like you know I know one guy he, he was out of work because their their uh, their union had invested all that money into those those shitty uh, uh, home loans right and they lost everything. Sub, subprime the subprime shit yeah they lost he lost everything shit man everything. You know, a lot of guys lost their houses. A lot of Shit. them, their, their wives left. You know, so there's now you're left with a group of men who don't really know what to do. But we all congregated in this jujitsu thing as a way to kind of all work through our problems. And out of that, we built the community. And out of that community, we all started to find jobs for ourselves. We all started to find new careers. We all started to find different ways, and we helped each other because it was a small fraternity of men. That's powerful yeah. shit, bro. That's powerful shit right there. Yeah, and and like now as I get older and, and and because like I'm doing more interviews, like this last year and a half has been the first time I started doing more podcasts and started write, writing for myself as well and reflecting on my life. Did I start to kind of realize what was really going on, what we were all kind of going through? And this was just kind of a way for it was a therapeutic way for us because I mean, a majority of men we don't like to talk or express our feelings or doing anything like that. And what better way to do it than than to release our aggression? At the end of the day. We're still in it. We're still a we're a human ape that likes to hunt and kill things, and we got to exercise that part of us as well, you know. And but, people don't realize. I mean, that that's innate within us, man. Within it's like the the man goes out and, and hunts and brings home the deer, and the woman hooks it up and makes you know put gets the spike, you know. But people, they, the way they have it now, they want the woman to go because they're putting the women now in the in the powerful figures. The women of Superman, the woman of the Hulk now, and the man is like. I'm going to be honest, they're trying to make the man look like the big dummy, you know? Yeah, absolutely, dude. I totally agree with you. But the thing is, too, majority of those women and the women that I'm always, you know, um, talking with and everything like that, they're, they're, they're very, they're all career-driven. They're all like this, but they hate it. Right. Because <laughs> it's not natural. Yeah, and that's why I think they, they gravitate towards men like me because it's like, yeah, you're just this... This dude, that's on the, the far side of the spectrum to what I'm usually dealing with. You know, I'm tired of uh, telling my man what to do. You know what it is too. It's like it's nature, and you can't like if you you know you're into the down shit. It's just the way of nature, and and I'll say it real quick. I always say it on the podcast, but really, what the Dao De Ching is is observing nature while removing your ego. So what does that do? You see nature the way it really is and the way we're really supposed to be. So when when People see someone like you, or, or let's say women in this day or whatever, because men, I'm going to say it the way it is, they're becoming pussified. You know what I mean? So when they see some real shit, then they're going to say, well, why, why is that different? Or what's going on with this dude? Why is he the way he is? And it's just nature. You know what I mean? It's a natural thing to see a man <laughs> conducting himself like a man, you know? And in your instance, you know, like an Uberman, you know, a dude that's really over the top, 
you know, doing it. And not, like I said, I'm not trying to gas you, but it's the reality of what it is, man. So we really, really need alphas like you, man, out there setting the example so that people, so young men can, young men or young women can look up to you and say, hey, look, this guy's doing it. What, what is he having for breakfast? What books are he, is he reading? You know, why the fuck is he traveling all around the world? I want to do that too. And it's amazing that, you know, that I'm able to get you on here and, you know, you can share this with all of us because this is what we need today. Today, we need this, man. Yeah, man. I mean, I, 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 I completely agree with you. You know, I, I just, like, I see it I see it all the time with other guys, you know. And, and for me, when I decided to start teaching full-time, I realized, especially in jiu-jitsu, it's a lot about reading people. And, like, getting back to that community thing, I had a, a, a doctor friend who, uh, really, really smart guy. He, he does uh, stem cells, but he started... Uh, started wanting to, to learn jiu-jitsu under me and he he had said something that i never thought about jiu-jitsu and he's like well and he's also into like all this stuff that we were talking about okay. he's very into all these things he's like well you know what you're doing here hobby and i was like what is you're building us a, a, a place for men to learn how to trust each other and i was like why do you say that and he's like well because if you look at where society is we're always trying to compare we're always in competition with each other we're always in competition with yes. sources me women and this and that and they say that the the, 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 the the person that is your enemy is the is your neighbor is your other man but what you're doing here is that you're giving men a safe place to learn how to be okay with with trusting another man with your life because that's what we're learning how to do right you know i you know if i choke you and i top out and then you top out you're trusting me enough to know that I'm that I'm gonna let go and let you live another day, you know, and so that we we can get better at this art that we decided all that we're all gonna try and dedicate our lives to. And if I could add one thing to it, iron sharpens iron. Absolutely, you know that's a um, even though it's a, a Bible quote, it is also the quote for for catch wrestling. Is it? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the gym I'm going to actually be training at next week it's called uh, the Snake Pit and it's probably the, the first catch wrestling gym that was ever made in England so like England's ties go all the way back to the Roman era of where they learned wrestling you mean and back then, like 2000 years ago? yeah damn that's a long uh, yeah it, it all comes out of this port called Lanshire which is just up north of here but all these uh, ideas were taken because you know England had ruled the whole world at one point right so all their went all over the world and when these guys went to all, all these different places they had picked up moves and different things from jiu-jitsu from um uh africa also has a wrestling style that's really uh submission based as well all over the world and they came back and brought these ideas and compiled it into what we call catch wrestling awesome awesome how are you for time hobby because i don't want i don't know what you have going on i mean well shit as long as you want man all right all right hey so listen yeah yeah, that that that's amazing. One of the things that I really take away from you, and I see it in a lot of fighters, and it's super interesting. First of all, a lot of people that kind of interact with me on Instagram or emails that I get from listeners, a lot of fighters, man, you know? So I, I guess I'm either doing something right or we're kind of on the same frequency, but what I'm seeing with a lot of MMA guys and a lot of fighters is that they have the balance of, you know, they, they have this combat skill, but they also have the uh, philosophy and the intelligence and the research to go along with that, the discipline to go along with that. And, and uh, it's an amazing time that we're living in right now to, to, to be able to witness this because this never, never really existed before. 
you know, unless, unless, I think if you go back to the Bushido, you know, in Japan, feudal Japan, where there was a system in place and it wasn't disciplined, you know, have you heard of the, uh, the Hagakuru? The Hagakuru, sounds familiar. Yeah, it's, it's, it's called the Book of Hidden Leaves, but it's, um, did you ever see the movie Ghost Dog? If you, no. you, okay, you need, you need to see Ghost Dog. It's Forrest Whitaker and what he is, is he's a hitman. And the music is Rizzer from Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, yeah. Dude, you got to see this movie, man. It's called Ghost... It's called... And listeners, it's called Ghost Dog. He's a hitman. But the thing is, he has the Bushido code, okay? And he has his retainer, this mafioso dude, but they never speak and they never interact. They talk through pigeons. They send each other messages through pigeons. I don't want to give away the movie, but yo, you got and the music. I, I love Rizza, you know, and I love the Wu Tang. Uh, well, yeah, no, that's why I was listening to your podcast. You open up Wu Tang. Like a lot of my fights have come out to Wu Tang, man. All right, thirty six <laughs> chambers, man. Thirty six chambers. I'm dude. telling you, yeah, bro. Yeah. You know, you listen to. Um, so t- talking about like inspiration and like pulling stuff from. Uh, I got really into uh, salsa dancing and break dancing as a way of entering into my my style. Particularly with with break dancing, with like doing a lot of the lay lock systems that I'm really interested in, it just it just showed me how to be able to transition from the ground to standing and vice versa very quickly. So that's what I picked up from it. You seem to be into move. You seem to be big into movement, bro. Like um, like my time in Bangkok was is very interesting. I think people aren't very very aware of what's going on there, but there is like a movement uh, movement going on, man. I've I've, I've pulled inspiration for like i have a friend who's uh, uh studied eight years in, uh, in yoga in india with one of like the top guys and that's crazy that's crazy I practice, I practice yoga with them in exchange i teach him jujitsu wow yeah i met a group of uh spanish break dancers in bangkok that, that started to teach me break dancing and teach me the art and the philosophy behind it and i mean honestly what i've never thought about break dancing is break dancing is a martial arts it and- is dude it, yo break dance i'm gonna real quick javi Probably circa 1976, 1977, we're in the fire exit of Wyckoff Garden Projects, which is on Nevin Street and Wyckoff in Brooklyn, downtown. And we chilling there drinking food. That's what, okay, we were drinking a beer and this dude came and says, no, 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 not not that. This new thing came out, the 40 ounce. I'm like, what the fuck is it? And it was a big 40 ounce. A week later, I'm going to put it the way it is. The guy came out and he had a, a night owl or a blunt. He had a blunt and he's taking the, the wrapper off. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And there was a split. And then, like, uh, six months later, dude came and started doing all this pop. Like, I saw all of this shit happening. The rapping, all of this took place. That culture took place within a real small window of time. And, but the my boy was a break dancer. His name was Puppet. And and I would see this guy move. But they, they, they would fight. You would walk into a park, let's say, in downtown, and with the boom boxes blasting, right? So a guy would walk in, and he would lock eyes with a dude across the way. It's on. They walk out to the middle of basketball court and they st- it's like a fight, but they break dancing against each other. It's crazy shit, bro. So I could yeah. see I could see how that would inter- integrate with one another, the, the break dancing with, with the fighting. Yeah, I mean that's when I first learned like um just like a kind of like the uh, uh like how we were saying with Miss Masashi. It's like once you can see it in one thing, you can see it all. When they started breaking down the fundamental pattern, so I'm like, oh, this is just like opening up with like a jab and feints, it's just like you're using your top rock. And you're trying to create space, so you're trying to like figure out now you're going to try and hit your power moves, you know, whatever it is, like a coin drop, a windmill, whatever type of moves, and you're hoping that then you send it back to the other guy, you know. So it was it was a really interesting experience for me to like start learning all that stuff and salsa too, because uh, at 
the time, my, my coach was just like, well, you know what, Harvey, like, you okay as a striker, but you're a little flat-footed. You know, like, what do you mean? It's just like, you're not very light on your feet. So he's like, well, you should like, take some salsa lessons or something. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, were you a good break dancer? I'm all right, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Wow, that, that, that's crazy stuff, man. It's like, it's funny how things, if, you, if you're really good at observing patterns, you know, and timing, as I said, timing and patterns, the whole world opens up to you in a different way, you know, and it, being able to make the association of connecting this discipline or this phrase or one thing a person said over here with something else that you see, you know what I mean? It's, it's pattern recognition, man, and I'm sure as a fighter, I mean, I guess you're all about that kind of pattern recognition and timing. Yeah, man, and I mean, like, and I'm a real big fan of hip-hop, you know, so, like, you know, for you to, like, kind of talk about how that started growing up, that's how I kind of feel what happened with MMA, dude. It starts with a, a small group of disbonded youth that are trying to figure out how to make something out of nothing, you know, and we did. We figured out how to make an industry and started to figure out styles, and, like, as a as a as an MMA guy, you, you, I kind of view it like, like you are like a break dancer or you, you're like a DJ, you know, I'm going to try and pull some, some, some samples and rips from this style. Like, like I'll look at a fighter and I'll be like, okay, this guy, like Willie Pep, that used to be a boxer back in the I heard the name. Yeah. I heard the name. He has an excellent footwork style that like you can use in MMA because he's constantly switching and changing angles. This works for a guy like me because then I don't have to worry about getting taken down. So you pull some of that, and then you pull like something like you know, uh, like Bruce Lee. He has what they call the like John Jones calls it the oblique kick, right? Right. But it's just it's your you know it's the concept of your closest target, your closest attack to the nearest target, right? And that's what you know. So you rip that from that guy, and then you rip something from like Yotzin which is like a really beautiful Muay Thai kick. And now you make this style uniquely your own. You know, you know who got some sick footwork is Triple G. Triple G, dude. Dude, the foot. The footwork, man, amazing. And, and you know, I'm not a boxer, whatever profession, whatever, but I could see it. What he, what he's doing, if you really observe Triple G, his footwork is just freaking sick, bro. Yeah, man. I mean, he grew up dancing too. You know what? Yeah, I thought I heard that right. They were commenting on him. Yeah, yeah. He did uh, some type of Russian style dancing, and uh, that's that's what I noticed. Is like a lot of a lot of these guys is like you. You'd be surprised where they pull inspiration from. You know. Like, I didn't know who Bruce Lee was a cha-cha dancer either. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't know that. I, 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 could see, I could see him cha-cha-ing, you know? I mean, it's crazy shit. And, 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 and to own, cha-cha and to own it. And say, yeah, I'm cha-cha, what's up? You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. And I mean, that's the thing is like, well, like I said, you know, it is the Tao. You know, I think that's why you got to pull from, from, from both sides of the, of the yin and the yang, man. You know, not everything has to be a hard and violent style. But, you know, you need something soft in order to complement it, you know? Like, uh, if I were just mainly just a hard style, just speaking of like a metaphor from the now, it's like a, yeah, like a strong oak or tree, you know? Right. Strong, but once the wind hits it, it breaks. Right. Because it says in the Tao, uh, stiffness is, in the sense, according to the Tao, is death. Because that which is pliable and moldable, like a baby, is life, right? Exactly. And growing and supple. They use the word supple. And that which is stiff easily breaks. You know, so but but at the same time, you have to integrate both. Yeah, so that's why they always say the example of the bamboo tree. You know, it's stiff but it's flexible. It knows how to bend and can bend with the wind. You know? And you, I'll tell you something, man. There's things that I read in the Tao. I'm gonna hit you with one verse from the Tao 
that has blown me away since I first read it. But And when I send emails from my regular email thing, it's my quote on the bottom. And here's what it is. It says, 30 spokes connect at one hub. What is not there makes the wheel useful. Clay is formed into a vase. What is not there makes the vase useful. Windows and doors are cut from a room. What is not there makes the room useful. Learn to make use of what is by using that which isn't. And that which isn't is the void. And the void is infinite potential. Yeah. You know? And it's funny. I tell some people that and some people get it. Most people don't. But some people look at me and say, damn, say, say that again? You know, but it's the truth. that Learn to make use of what is by using that which isn't. And which, which is the void. Which is infinite potential. Because once you have a void, it gives you the, the passage to go into that. To get utility out of the room that's the space that's in the room. Without that void you can't access it and it's the same with our thinking with our minds and the way we are because i'll be trying to do something or trying to fix something i'm always tinkering and building and all that stuff i'm I, i'm hyper and shit so i'm always doing something but i'll be trying to do something and i'm like why well how can i make this work and something will come into my, and i'll say to myself learn to make use of what is by using that which isn't and i'll grab a pair of vice grip pliers and a screw and it work you know and it literally comes into my head as soon as i say that it's hard it's hard to explain but yeah, the vo- it's the, the concept of the void. Yeah, and I mean that's why in the book of five rings it is the last ring. It's the black ring. You know? you, thank you, thank you, man. And yo, that is really fucking deep. When Musashi gets into that, into the void, in the oh shit, dude. Oh, we speak in the same language, man. I'm not a fighter, but mentally, yo, we there. That's why I'm saying, hey, why? You know, what are you thinking when you close that gate? That's that's the fifth ring, man. Everything up to, to that point, that's when the fifth ring takes control. It's, you know, I'm entering the void. I don't know what's going to happen in there. I don't know. And I just trust in myself that I'm just going to, uh, that all my training, everything that I've done up to that point will take hold. We should put that on a Wu-Tang beat. I might do that. <laughs> if it's okay with you, I might put that on a Wu-Tang beat or some shit. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, man, yeah. Listen, listen, I don't want to keep you, and I, I actually, I have the car from my job. I drove, because I, I, I literally bought a car last night. I got to go pick it up. We, right. we, listen to this, though. We need to do this again. I'm not sure, I'm recording it on uh, Audacity, so I know I have the audio. I'm not sure about the video, but I have the audio for sure. We, yeah, I'm going to get Zoom, and we're going to do this interview again. Right. Now, I'm not saying redo this one, but we got to, you know, down the road. We gotta talk, man. You're you're actually you're actually a a a friend of the show, man, for sure, for sure. So, thank you, really, really, it's honored. Yeah, man. No, it's, I'm honored having you. But in, you know, before we wrap it up, I uh, if there's anything that you want to say, what's your website, what's your social media, whatever you want to put out there. If you if you do coaching, training, you know, whatever whatever you have, you know, whatever you have to offer the community or whatever you do. Yeah, why don't you just give us a quick. Uh, breakdown on that and, and take your time yeah yeah so uh if you guys are interested in in what it is that i do and you want to follow me just uh simply follow me on my ig which is uh javi trujillo.mma and then if you want to follow me on facebook it's javi trujillo um and like i said if, if you're interested in martial arts or anything like that i'm always posting things in uh, uh, videos particularly on my facebook page so there's tons of free content that you guys if you want to pull just from that um, if you're interested in martial arts or anything like that, feel free to me- or reach out on Messenger or um, 
uh, email, which is uh, avitrujillo19 at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, that's all i got to say, man. And just, you know, if anybody out there is just kind of curious about what I do and this and that, that's how you can reach me. Javi, I want to thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure having a real warrior, a real alpha male on the podcast. You can hear my phone ringing in the back, but I'll let it ring. And uh, I, I want to I really thank you, especially, you know, representing our culture, you know, our people and everything like that. You know, it's something that I can't really put words on, but it, it is what it is, man. I mean, you're the man. So we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to let you go from here. I, again, I want to thank you for coming on. And uh, I'll probably shoot you an email because I uh, need an address. I want to send you a couple of hoodies, podcast hoodies, you know, whatever. So, you know, you can, uh, yeah, you can represent, man. So I would love that, dude. Of course. I represent proud, man. Yeah, man. Javi, man. Thank you so much. And we're going to, we're going to catch up next time. Thank you. Thank you, man. Love to do this again. Thank you, brother. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist. I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My website is alphamalebuddhist.com. Dot podbean.com My Instagram is Alpha Male Buddhist And check out my YouTube channel Alpha Male Buddhist And that's on YouTube It is the podcast accompanied with video clips That integrate exactly with the podcast So it's motivational and inspirational I also have promotional t-shirts If you go to my website Alpha Male Buddhist.podbean.com you can see the promotional t-shirts there. Reach out to me. Also, if you have any show notes or any suggestions that you would like to hear on the podcast, just reach out and see if I can get that done. I've been getting some really great emails and feedback from my listeners, which is great. So I want to thank you for listening. and Namaste.